0: Bootstrapping your business can sometimes feel lonely. Welcome to the Bootstrapped European Entrepreneur Podcast, where you can hear the stories of your peers, as well as the strategies and tactics that have helped them grow their businesses. Your host, Iroš, co-founded a company as a student and led it through the trials and tribulations of bootstrapping to the IPO on the stock exchange. Hi, our guest today is Danko Yevdović is currently icon board member, and he also advises various organizations on the topics of cybersecurity, corporate governance, finance, entrepreneurship, and the internet in general. We talk about his beginnings as an entrepreneur, where he co-founded Sesam Pro, which grew to be one of the largest ISPs in Serbia at the time. We then discuss how being first and educating the market to really helped them grow a recognizable brand, and also how important it was for them to build out middle management team at the exactly right time. We end our discussion with his advice on what an entrepreneur could do or should do after exiting his or her business. I hope you will really enjoy this episode. Hi, Danko. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Arush. It's really a pleasure to be in your podcast. Thank you for calling me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because your story does not have typical ending for entrepreneur. But where did this entrepreneurial story really begin? I
1: agree that my story is a bit different because it's kind of a story
0: of a change.
1: And I started as a techie enthusiast in the time of personal computers when uh, in the 80s, when they started to come to our homes and our lives. Uh, I was most interested in using computers and programming, and thinking about that might be my career. But at the end of the 80s, IBM PC clones started to appear. And we lived in then Yugoslavia, and it was very difficult to buy them. So I kind of found a way with some friends to import a computer for ourselves. So we started programming. And then we saw this as an opportunity. So in a way, it's a classical entrepreneur thing. You just saw something that you can do. You see an opportunity. You don't think too much about how you will do it. You just grab it and and go. And that's how we started the company that was called YugoData. We started to import uh, PCs, assemble them, and then we ran that for a number of years in first Yugoslavia, then Serbia after year 2000, we became one of the largest uh, retailers of personal computers. So kind of our story was connected to desktop computers and being a local brand.
0: Yeah, I still remember these times because uh, now it's usually, let's say, that if you buy a computer, it's like a global brand. But at the times, uh, most of uh, the computers were like local brands. Let's say people who bought the components and assembled them and then branded it in their own brand. And then there was transition that... Uh, This global press took everything over. Yeah,
1: and that's kind of that transition also, well, killed our business with with PCs, because as entrepreneurs, we were very much focused on the opportunity that we identified and we used it. We were quite successful, but also that success kind of focused us into not seeing a wider picture. So we didn't really have a knowledge to understand what will happen to the markets. And once the economic fundamentals changed, so the local PCs started to be uh, rather cheap. Then the global brands appeared, notebooks, and our regular customers, that were mostly residential, mostly first time PC users, they started to move to global brands, to notebooks, and kind of our market mostly disappeared without us realizing that will happen.
0: Yeah, this is one of. Uh- the traps let's say of being a first-time entrepreneur really focused on operations because you don't have time for strategic thinking and sometimes you don't even let's say recognize the value of uh taking a step back and uh let's say thinking strategically but for you the story is a little bit different because you use this let's say uh opportunity this uh knowledge that you got uh, that you acquired in Yukodata, data to actually start Quite successful side business, but it, first it was side business, yes? Yes.
1: Uh, well, we are talking about Cezan Pro, uh, internet provider in, in Serbia. And it actually started as a, as a hobby and a way how to help our friends that had this BBS. So let's go back and back Okay, in the past. so
0: uh, let's explain for
1: younger <laughs> listeners what's BBS. <laughs> so uh, uh, BBS is a bulletin board system. It's something similar to today's uh, web forums. There was no internet, but there were modems. So you could put in your computer a modem connected to the uh, through local dial-up telephone line to the BBS system. Uh, most of them had only one telephone line so it was only one person connected at the time and then you can log on there read some messages by other members read your emails and discuss so uh, post the message uh, onto forum or other uh, or even upload and download some files <laughs> or get some files upload some files so it was like kind of exchange of ideas. And in case of CESAM Pro, uh, in the beginning, it was the CESAM BBS connected to that magazine Ratronari. that was the most important computer magazine in first Yugoslavia, then Serbia. Um, David Stanovich and Zoran Zivotic's uh, friends of mine, they started this system. And I was one of the early members knowing both of them. So we uh, saw that there is great interest in this electronic communication thing. And we also recognize that the internet is incoming without too much understanding of what will happen out of the internet.
0: And they had the opportunity to grow the system. Do you remember, uh, Do you remember? let's say, what got you thinking that internet is the next important thing? Looking back, I'm not really sure that I fully recognize
1: that. The main motivation at the time was that the, uh, around the SESM, we created a community. And community wanted to have more telephone lines, more capabilities. And there was also at that time we started email exchange of, with the internet. So this was really, really a possibility. And they needed investments. So they were not, unable to grow because they needed some more money for, for computers. Uh, it was very difficult to get additional telephone lines. So we kind of made a deal to use resources of Yuga data. To invest into that new company called Sesam Pro and to, to start the thing. And somehow, internet was at that time just on the side of our thinking. So I cannot say that we really recognized it. But once the, in 1996, the discussion about bringing the internet to, to Serbia started to heat up, we saw this as an opportunity that we can leverage the community of users we had and create additional business out of that. And the main motivation was not the money, it was giving our community opportunity to use the internet on the system that they love and don't, that, don't have to go to some other commercialized piece.
0: So if I understand correctly, let's say it's a combination of people with business skills and let's say people who build community and then let's say solving the problems of the community, let's say with uh, some business skills. Yes,
1: uh, yeah, exactly, and the community aspect was very important because actually our business side of our offer when we started the internet in the end of '96 was not very good because we didn't have too much lines, so our equipment was some of that was bought secondhand, imported. We used Yugo Data to assemble local computers; they were not proper servers and everything, so it was like cheaply done. But because of the goodwill of our community, we were able to get it going and to have really loyal followership uh, with our
0: friends. So the problem of the lines it's probably the classic problem of, uh, let's say, telcos not being up to certain standards with their infrastructure.
1: Exactly, and especially it happened in Serbia because due to the um, political chain problems and sanctions and everything, so there were very, very few investments into telecom infrastructure. So in order to get the phone line, it was really, really something and really complicated thing. So we managed to get initially 15 phone lines and then some 10 more and something like that. And until the year 2001, it was really, really a challenge. So at that time, the um, bottleneck to growth of any ISP, ours and our competition was actually the number of phone lines you were able to get. So everyone was focused only on that part and not really on on customer service and the happiness of the customers. That was another entrepreneurial trap, you know. You see what's the most important, you focus on that, and you don't look uh, at the wider picture.
0: Yeah, but okay, it's also from the supply and demand. Let's say demand was much probably much larger than supply was, so you are focused on solving the problems of supply. Let's say absolutely. So actually, in our case, the yoga data was backed in
1: helping us because Yuba Data was selling personal computers in a very competitive market. So it was easy to enter, you could buy components from any of the importers or just import them yourself and just start selling. And it was very competitive business. So we learned to advertise, we learned about importance of customer satisfaction, we learned about importance of value proposition. And at the moment when Cezanne Pro and other ISPs had an opportunity to grow, at that moment, we had advantage of understanding importance of marketing, importance of, of market approach. So we kind of used that and built Cezanne Pro's brand with additional investments from the Data side. But the key was focus on the market and the customer. We had loyal customers in our community, but we grow much out of uh, much more, built a much better system. And it was
0: like something that really jump-started a side project into our main business focus. Okay, before we delve a little bit deeper into that, I just wanted to say, it reminds me, this story reminds me a lot of uh, the story of AOL. That's because also the founder came from another industry. He was quite proficient in sampling. And their idea to send out uh, CDs, with, uh, let's say, all the software as a sample, let's say, to try out internet. It's basically, it was unknown tactic in other industry, but unknown in uh, industry of ISPs. So yeah, uh, transferring this skill set from one industry to another, uh, it's really powerful sometimes. But what changed then, let's say, to delve a little bit deeper that allowed you to, uh, let's say, jumpstart the growth? What changed in the market?
1: Actually, it was availability of telecom infrastructure. So after year 2001, um, Serbia had political changes. We opened up and telecom was able to invest. So it was possible to get the four lines. Telephony started uh, some multimedia IP-based network, and we were able to buy capacities and wholesale from the from the incumbent at, uh, operator they had monopoly but still they didn't go into uh, retail immediately so that was kind of a, a window that we were well lucky enough for you know we had this serendipity moment of being ready and recognizing the opportunity so we jumped on it so the key growth point was an offer of the broadband in serbia where uh, Telecom Serbia offered ADSL in wholesale to ISPs, so we recognized that uh, as a most important opportunity our, for our business, because we recognized the need uh, of the customers to get the internet. We had this still the core of our old uh, BBS uh, community that asked us, you know, will you be offering this that service? And we recognize this is something that will change the internet uh, in Serbia. Well, as happened in the other countries, and we invested heavily into educating of the market. So our slogan was for ADSL was analog no digital cezam pro meaning analog digital cezam pro line. So we abused the the, <laughs> the, the ADSL uh, word into um, giving it some, some different meaning. So we kind of monopolized this, uh, uh, this service in the mind of the customers. So we actually took over an acronym, that's a technical that actually means something yes. To, to it's called... called... Uh, the acronym is Asymmetrical Digital Subscriber Slide. So we took over that acronym and we somehow connected it with our marketing to the customer's uh, understanding <laughs> or, or what's the possibility. Whose and idea we, was this? I'm not sure, you know, I was there at the meeting when we thought about it, but it was like kind of really wild
0: brainstorming and somehow it got out, uh, out of that. But it also really takes, uh, let's say, some kind of courage or uh, gusto, let's say, to say, oh, okay, yes. cool. I, I
1: remember we were told that uh, Faculty of Electronic Engineering in Belgrade discussed, you know, are we allowed to do that? <laughs> and then Other ISPs were very angry, but The key point there was education, because we tried to focus very much on the, uh, what's the message to the customers? What what are the advantages of the broadband line? Because it wasn't understood. Uh, People bought internet per the hour. So it was change of the mindset of being per the hour to being connected constantly and paying more money to your life. And we discussed how your four line will be free. You will be able to use your fixed line for something else, not to sit all day on it. You will get the speed, you will be able to to see videos. So we kind of created a a short 10 minute long movie about how ADSL is new technology, how it works, what are the advantages, and how do you put that, install that in your home. And we managed, managed to run that, that short promotional movie on a lot of very cheap TVs at that time, because cable cable was also present in the home, and people have this number of channels that are not very expensive to run your ads on. So, kind of lots of lots of things happen in the same
0: time. There's also now listening to you. Let's say quite interesting parallel, because also in my story, one of the thresholds or something that happened, let's say, that allowed us to grow really, really faster was also us educating the market. Because our hosting, let's say, side business at the time, it was a small business. We, we, we think that at the time we had like 2% of the market. Uh, but uh, then uh, deregulation of uh, local, uh, let's say, of CCTLD happened. Let's say, so uh, country-level domain of .si was being deregulated. We recognized this as an opportunity and started offering reservations to get into the line at the time when the deregulation will happen, because it was a set time. And we also took an opportunity because nobody knew, because uh, local registry just informed some of the companies that let's say, helped people register domain before. So we also did a press conference. So we were the one, let's say, that get all the national TVS and so on at the press conference. We informed the local registry that they can join, so they could not deny that they, they know that. And at the beginning, each and every company said, "Okay, this is not allowed." But we went through the terms and conditions. Everything it was allowed, and we never said that we are, let's say, actually reserving the registration. We were offering a reservation of the spot, but people just heard the reservation domain the name, and basically we doubled our market share in one day at the time. But the power of educating the market and actually having a story that uh, people. Tell, it's uh, it stuck with me. So it's really interesting to hear that you used this power of education much, let's say, uh, uh, also as a driving force, but much better.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was really fantastic. Uh, and I see I'm very happy to hear these parallels because at the time when the .rs started in Serbia, we also offered pre, pre-registrations. <laughs> so it was also a way to jumpstart our own hosting business, Seasons Pro hosting business at that time. But going back, you mentioned uh, like we were brave to, to uh, uh, redefine the acronym, but also it was a bit of a bravery from business side First, the investment we made into this education and advertising was really, really significant for us. Second, it was also about market positioning. We had this well, luck or situation that most of our customers were residential customers and small businesses. So these were the market segments that were well aligned with offering a rather cheap broadband ADSL service. Some of our competition that was larger had uh, most of their business were coming from the businesses. So they were selling lease lines for amount of money that was like 10 or 20 times more expensive than the price of ADSL. So they were afraid if they offer ADSL, they were cannibalize their own income. So that was one of the reasons why they were slow. They started to focus on the ADL cell when they saw that we overgrow them as leading independent ISP with our market share. So at that time, it was probably too late to 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 come to the, the our size. So we kind of overtook the market by this combination of luck, education, advertising, and being there at the point of time with the right message.
0: But okay, probably also let's say, having some means to do that? Because how did you finance that? Because I don't know, you said, okay, it was not really expensive to advertise, but still, uh, let's say ADSL is a subscription service and there is some uh, setup costs that you probably had to finance. So was this Hugo data data again? Yes, Uh, well, that, that was another component. As an entrepreneur, you never
1: estimate properly the amount of investments that grow might require. And the risks of growth, a lot of companies go down because they cannot uh, manage the growth. So we uh, we also failed in that respect. But at the end, we kind of killed off Yugodata's main business uh, and helped uh, Cessna's Pros business grow. So of course, Yugo Data was selling computers. So we had this turnover of computer components and everything. So there was a a lot of money in debt as our normal working capital. So we kind of invested rather substantial sums and part of this capital into growth of Season Pro. As you said, for every new customer, the setup fee was, was zero because we had to offer that to be competitive. And then it was like first, first, first month for free or things like that. So we had to give them an ADSL modem. We had to pay the setup fee to the telecom Serbia. We had to advertise. We had to um, onboard them. So every everything of that was costs. And in the months when the growth was significant, it was really, really a lot of money. And then you expect that you will see profit coming out in a year and two once once you, you you get that money back. So that was that growth was really a challenge. We were very careful about our costs. We were overworked, the whole team, uh, without having enough people to do everything because we couldn't afford the costs. But at the end, the help from our YugoData personal computer business that was actually declining at the time helped us to finance the increasing business of internet.
0: So there was no help of the banks or some investor recognizing the opportunity or something like that? Well at that
1: time there was no really investors market and we didn't want to, to get any investments because we saw that growth was very fast and then banks didn't recognize us at all so for them it was you know small risky business with uh, uh, balance sheets that didn't look very well we were entrepreneurs not focused on how financial reporting would look nice to the banks we were focused on
0: how to survive uh, I must share with you that, let's say, banks still don't recognize that subscriptions are a different kind of uh, company. subscription based companies are a different kind of animal than ordinary, let's say, factory. I know. I, I spoke with my friends who are still in internet business and they tell us, well, we
1: are a similar thing to, to a leasing company. We get invest into customers, then we get a return on them, but banks don't get it.
0: Yeah. So uh, you alluded to, let's say, fast growth. What did this mean, let's say, in terms of uh, people size as you mentioned at the beginning, there there was three of you, let's say in CES and Pro, what uh, what this this kind of growth uh, meant for uh, let's say growth of the team because uh, you already mentioned marketing, so probably there's somebody joining on this site and so on. So, so that's an interesting story, and I believe uh,
1: some of the takeaways are from our case, but the story of growth is probably similar. So we were four partners in Cezan Pro. Uh, One of the partners was mostly focused on the content side, not on the running business, so three of us. Our responsibilities were not very clearly defined. Zoran Životić was the, the CEO and he kind of ran the business. But uh, as the Hugo Data business subsided, and then at Ivanovic and myself, we moved more from managing of Hugo Data to helping uh, Sesame Pro's growth. So we were moving between offices and helping. But when the Sesame Pro started, we had one employee that was working only during working hours. So the story was if some of the servers and modems get stuck and has problems dragana will come in the, on the monday morning and reset it so everything <laughs> will be fine but the community was there so people accepted that kind of service then you had to professionalize you had to create a network uh, it had to be low cost network we had to import stuff use stuff we used Data for that part so it was kind of a synergy still in between companies and help, help. but then the growth started because you need sales, you need uh, someone in marketing, you need people who will communicate the uh, whole time. We, you need support, and the support team really grows the call, call center and everything. So, this also creates changes in the culture. And the culture of the company is something that, as an entrepreneur, you probably don't create with special intent. You create it out of your own approach to business. Uh, We were thankful that it was three of us and personally a bit different. So we had this wide of approaches and communication with people. So we were able to leverage that. And we kind of avoided the problem of one Overpowering genius entrepreneur and the top who is unapproachable. So we kind of had this uh, ability to connect with the culture and to create a culture of
0: respect and focused on the work being done in the company. But it's probably also because you were there were the three of you because yeah you cannot avoid less the discussion. About cultural things, you don't call them culture, but let's say, but it's discussion how we do we do things here. If there's like three founders, because you're different, as you mentioned, so yes. But I see that as a two-part thing. One is about company
1: culture and the relations with with the employees and how the company works. The other thing is is the partnership thing. So they're in my mind a bit separate. About the growth part. It's very interesting looking back to recognize how the way people uh, see the firm changes when it's just like ten of you or less than ten. It's like extended family. You make a tea for each other. You wash your own cup. Uh, you get a uh, get to get, go to get breakfast. You buy it for anywhere. When it's more and you start like more than ten people or something like that, then you kind of have people who are more important and they are more focused on the work. So somebody else is bringing you coffee. After 20, you start drinking too much coffee. So you have to switch (laughs) to tea (laughs) because everyone is bringing you coffee because you're the boss. And then after like more than 20, you kind of need to have someone coming into the firm to clean it because people don't see it anymore as their home. They don't clean after themselves you know you're the boss you're not going to wash your teacup anymore someone else is doing that for you then you need the person that is doing that for everyone you need someone coming out cleaning the you know the toilets or because you have to keep it as a company now and people with more than 20 start seeing that as a place they go to work not as a family and then you grow more. We were growing. We were doubling in size each year. So we, the Pro ended up at the time of merger like 120 people, something like that. So after I would say 50, well, it's not a rule, but in our case, uh, you need middle management. So you start promoting people from uh, more experienced people uh, to be team leaders. So they're still doing their job and, you know, doing some of the managerial work. And then real turmoil in a company in your growth starts, kind of adolescent phase when you um, the owners and the managers really need to understand the management. You are going to, to learn more about it. You see that your life knowledge, you see that you need people who will manage others, but are your friends from the beginning of the firm who know their business are they good with the people now? Can they do that? And it's a lot of changes, a lot of discussion and changes in the culture. But then in our case the growth was still ongoing and you kind of have to do all both things and
0: one And it's a challenge. Yeah, I noticed Leslie that the people who are in leadership decision from the beginning, they maybe somebody, some kind of struggle, but not so much. In my experience, let's say the team lead, let's say promotion, is the most critical one uh, because the people who before didn't have like leadership responsibility, they're now in a position where they have to recognize that leading is actually a work and it takes time and you should focus on that. And now this is your primary responsibility. And it's a transition that is really hard to make for some of them without the support.
1: Absolutely. It's a switch of a mindset because when you when you're good in your job, you kind of learn to solve the problems and to contribute and to know that you are expected to know stuff and to, to say it. But when you're a manager, you are not expect you're expected to know it, but you shouldn't do something about it and shouldn't say it. You should enable your team to do it better than you would do it. So by helping your team. As as a team leader, you're actually destroying the team spirit. So you have to change from stop being the best. You have to be the support of of the team. So it's very difficult for them because they have to switch it. And probably the, the founders or the top management had this different mindset from the beginning because they created a team and they knew that people should know something. So they were kind of supportive for them. So it's really the creating of a middle management structure is a real, a real challenging growing,
0: thing, growing. First. So were you successful in this? Let's say because I see now that you completely understand the process, but at the time uh, I, I, I can see, I can envision some challenges. We were successful enough
1: uh, because we, the three of us as, as a managing team, we understood that we need help. So we were trying to learn that, and
0: we were trying to to find more. And um, where did you find help, let's say, uh, in this process?
1: Well, reading a lot. I like to learn a lot, so reading a lot about management. We got some management consultants. In our case, it was Adige's, uh in Serbia team. Yeah. So I was I still remember uh, in, in the nineties, I was on the first page of their subscription list for their books and then probably at that time it was 2000 and something i kind of recognized my passion for management so i switched my mindset from being a i don't know techie programmer enthusiast for technology that i still am um, so you know like Home automation hobbies and things like that, but actually, I understood that my profession is uh, in management. Uh, that I have this passion for um, optimizing processes, for understanding how things work in the business setting, for finance, and actually for people. Because you know, if you don't like working with people, you can't be any manager.
0: <laughs> yeah, I still remember, it's funny you mentioned uh, Isaac Odysseus, uh because I still remember coming across his work for the first time. It's eye-opening. And when you mentioned the lessons, I said, okay, this sounds like Odysseus and uh, the corporate life cycles. But uh, for me, this knowledge that, okay, because when you're starting a company, it's a strange combination of you knowing that you don't know the stuff but you solving everything and you think that you are some kind of a, in a unique position. And then when you find out that, okay, basically all the companies grow through the same business problems, not maybe technical, but the business problems are the same. It's empowering in a way, but humbling in another. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh,
1: yes. Well, looking back, you understand that the knowledge is the key, but when you're in the problem, you see that you lack some knowledge, but oh, okay, just let me, you know, find a way to solve this. You see not as a lack of knowledge; you see it as a small practical problem. I remember when we started yoga data, I had to write an invoice. I didn't know how to do that, so a friend of mine dictated to me, "Oh, put this on this line, put this on this line. Oh, you have to calculate that," and it was funny at that time because it was still the old system, socialistic country. When you, uh, when you register your business, you had to take your invoice, go to the local community, uh, tax authority, local community, have them put a stamp on the back of your invoice, and then you bring it to the company, the page, and they read from the stamp how much of the tax they directly pay to the tax authority, and the rest they pay to you. So it was a really crazy system. But then you kind of learn things, you go for that and work more. So in yoga data, it was great help by uh, by the books, and we had some consultancy work with them. But we also asked some knowledgeable people we know that understood the management. To teach us, so we had a sessions with them. We had a, some sort of internal courses for for us as a running managers that running business. For then we had some courses for people when we were trying to set up the middle level management. So this change really takes a lot of effort. But in my case, it was really interesting things because, it, as I said, I like to learn things. I'm reading a lot, still learning much about it. And it was kind of something that probably defined me, but also helped me to understand the importance of the knowledge and that I actually, going through this entrepreneurial process, really lack some structure in in my knowledge and understanding of the fence.
0: How did your attitude towards the company that you co-founded change in this process? Let's say going from four in the beginning, going one employee to 120 did let's because you mentioned that's for the people joining at first they join the company up to 10 after 20 they get a job in the company but uh how did the this relationship between you and the company changed well your company is your baby and it's something that you see
1: as your life but probably um bit of a tunnel vision is still there because you don't see this something that you just started and it will run for some time and you will move on. You see that as as your life. So uh on one hand this is not ideal because you kind of very much connect to this this worldview, you don't see the larger picture. On the other hand, I think that might be the right thing to do uh, because now the startup culture is very popular buzzword. So uh, part of the startup culture is starting a business and running it. So that's what we were doing, but we were not thinking about that as a startup. We were thinking about ourselves as a business people and entrepreneurs. But the other part of the startup culture is let's get some idea, possibly copy that, build something, you know, growth it, and just sell it. So I don't see that as a Right business approach. I believe that when you you run business, you run it to win. You run your business to be, you know, the the majority business in the company, in the country. Uh, hopefully, with uh, nowadays uh, in the re- at least in the region. So you run your business as a going concern, as they would say. But you run your business to win. You don't run your business to sell it. And then at the end, we were running our business. To, uh, as a long-term to win. At the end, we sold our ISP business, but then situation changed. It was not our intent from the beginning. So I believe you will even sell it better if you intend to win, if you don't intend to sell.
0: Yeah, uh, but how did then, uh, let's say this, uh, because you said at the beginning, it's your baby. But uh, then when you sell it, you have to decouple, let's say, from the company a little bit. Let's say that your identity is not so much tied to the identity of the company. Uh, So how did this uh, merger into Orion uh, come about?
1: Well, there is a number of things to that. From from the market perspective, from the company perspective, and also from the... um, Financial structure of of the the owner, how you not, your life changes. So why why we sold? Well, number of reasons. Uh, the market started to change, and we recognized we had this again experience from Yugodata how change in the market can uh, create a situation when I mean, your original uh, idea cannot run anymore. It's not like it's not only your origin, original idea, it's also your positioning. For example, just to have a parallel, in case of Yoga Data, our positioning was a locally assembled brand for the desktop computer, mostly for first-time computer buyers. So all, all the three of those components were starting to be an So. First-time buyers were no more, you know, people were buying second computers. So local brand was attacked by global brands, and then uh, people had more money so they could buy more expensive notebook computers. In case of Cezan Pro, we uh, started to get real strong competition from Telecom Serbia, the monopoly in fixed telephony, uh, billion euros a year turnover company that started to uh, attack retail market very very hard their main competitor was Telemach as the cable provider but they are attacking all the broadband wanted to be uh, to get all these fixed telephone customers meaning all of the market to be their internet customers and, uh, they were giving six months, uh, subscription for free. Uh, they were, um, because we were using in ADSL their broadband infrastructure. They were creating, uh, uh, operational problems for us, deprioritizing our customers in technical support, telling our customers they will get better support if they switch to their offer and all those sorts of things. So we were, we were afraid. Uh, Then uh, we saw that we were focused on the market. So our strength was in our brand and our customers, but we didn't have any network. So we were thinking about starting to build on our network. But the problem was that regulatory agency was very much supportive of the Telecom Serbia monopoly and practically and effectively preventing anyone from creating network, at least legally. Some of the operators created network with putting their fibers illegally into cables and everything, so they had a finance for that. But to do the network, we needed a lot of money, and we it was impossible to get uh, support from the banks. So we saw that market will change, that we cannot really compete in the next stage. And then the other ISPs and the investors started to approach us to discuss a possible sets, And that somehow created... We haven't asked to be sold, but we were approached and we were started to think about it. And then we also saw that our growth was something that kind of creates a different culture that we will really need to corporatize our, our work. Uh, there were three of us as a managing partners. We had a bit of a different ideas how to go forward. So it was also a challenging in this partnership level what to do. And one of the possible uh, exits from all these pressures was to sell. At the end, we did just that. When you sell, you know, you give away your baby, but you get some money for it, and you're not allowed to complain.
0: Yeah. So uh were were you required to stay uh after the yes,
1: we we got some sort of management contract. Uh the main the uh, purpose of that contract is that you don't scare the people who are staying there uh, because their loyalties had to change from old owners to the new structure. In our case, uh, Orient Telecom was created by uh, merging of the three ISPs. sesame uh, Pro was, was the largest in size. It was like half of the future company. The investment came from some investment fund. Uh, there was a NLB uh, ISP from Novi Sad that was like half of size of Sesame Pro. And the uh, last, the most important quarter was MediaWorks, a uh, company in Belgrade that was focused more on the business side of the users. And most of the management came from that size, side. That was how the, the merge came to, to be. So, in a way, people who stayed in the company had to switch their allegiance from old management to the new. And it was a difficult process. So, to help that process, we accepted to get some uh, contacts uh, to be like a managerial consultants in the company. My role was to be director of strategy and regulatory because I kind of even in CSM Pro, I was involved in the communications with the Telecom Serbia regulatory agency ministry and kind of took over that uh, policy part. So we stayed at for there for some time. The merger went through. We helped uh, support the change in the culture, but it was not an easy time, neither for us, neither for the people who stayed there, but. You know, you, when change comes, you have
0: to accept it. And uh, we went through that. But it actually worked because usually if the companies of similar size merge, there's really big culture clash.
1: It, it, it was even worse. It was here that the, uh, the 25% of the future size of the company took over. Yeah. So MediaWorks was a quarter. And, you know, all, almost all the people who actually ran the Orion came from that side, including, of course, the CEO and his, his team. So in a way, it was the smaller company with uh, uh, investment capital took over a larger one. But we were really trying to help this process and not to put any obstacles to it. And we uh, accepted that we are getting out of this business. We didn't, you know, hold back in a way. So we kind of really supported it. But the culture was obviously diff- difficult. We had a team building, and then you see that people were sitting together in a mixed group, and some proposals about, you know, should we create our own company values and things like that. Like that. And then proposals from the from the Cezanne Pro side to put in the company values were largely ignored, and the people who were, you know, from the winning side were putting that in. And people were not really happy at the time but it's also about uh, what are their options so in a way they were not at that time they were not uh, it was 2010 just after the financial crisis so there were not too many options to go to some other workplace so in a way you are a bit of a uh, captured by the situation you stay in so you have to adjust to the new new environment and people did that. I was not very happy with that because I really believe, and it was our approach that people have to feel the company as their own home and have to be happy, happy staying there and have to be focused on how to do the best job for the customer. With the change, it was more of a corporate structure. It was how to fill the report, how to say that you were good, not how the customer felt. So for example with the customer support uh, our uh, mantra was you have to solve the problem. But the new thing was how long did you spend on the call? Not did you really solve the problem. So it was about statistics and about you know people trying to you know do the management principles and not understanding the, the business. But thankfully they
0: learned they changed them they're still running their business fine. But for us, let's say, a DHH, uh, because uh, let's say this DHH is now a holding company, let's say it's decentralized thematic holding. To translate it, it basically means that we as an owner, we don't want to interfere into culture, so we allow the CEO to set up strategy, uh, to build out their own culture, and we don't impose any kind of uh, synergy in quotation marks, let's say, from the top down. We encourage, let's say, cooperation between the companies, but if the CEOs suggested and wanted. But this was because of this some of bad experiences, let's say, of this kind of attempted synergy from the top down. Uh, uh, we noticed quite quickly that it is, destroys a lot of value that was built uh, from the bottom up through the years uh, because uh, let's say we wanted to harmonize some kind of IT system uh, because uh, there's a lot of homegrown IT systems in the companies and each CEO agreed. But we noticed quite soon that, uh, let's say, on the implementation side, there's no agreement. And also, uh, there's a lot of uh, implicit knowledge built in, into this system. So if we harmonize, we will destroy the brand values and so on. So now, let's say, we went through this decentralized route, and it's much better. Let's say, the companies are flourishing. We want to be, let's say, an owner that doesn't screw up things, <laughs> To be honest, and it works. So even though the companies are in the same industry, and uh, at the beginning, we got a lot of questions why don't you just, uh, let's say, uh, cut some costs by, uh, let's say, merging them together and so on? But uh, I'm really happy to see that uh, for us, it works in this way much better. And uh, you're Berkshire
1: Hathaway of hosting
0: business. We are not as big, let's say. So we still. uh, Not as Buffett. Yeah, because Buffett has the luxury of buying companies that have a complete managerial structure already set up yeah. and so on. For us, let's say we sometimes buy smaller companies and then work as a kind of management consultant to help them set up some structures. Let's say a lot of times some of the owners don't know how to, let's say, maybe this transition to team lead structure and so on is a difficult one and we help and so on. But okay, enough about us. So let's say you then, after a few years, you were allowed, let's say, to live. Uh, Ryan, uh, and now what? Let's say you you probably have uh, some kind of uh, financial stability. Well, financial stability is uh, also uh, an interesting
1: concept. Uh, it's a huge change, and it is really stressful because uh, for, for, in my case, long time, your life is structured in one way. So you have your own company or you are managing a company or at least have important position there, or in my case, you have some partners. But your life security is structured uh, around that business and around that company. So for example, in case your I don't know, car breaks down, not to mention any worse thing that might happen, you will need a car, you will say, oh, okay, I will you know, borrow some money from the company, buy a new car because I need a car, I run the company, company needs me to have a car. You, you find some excuse for that. And you know that you can do that. Once you get out, you don't have any luxury of that. Then you get some money and that's fine. But then you calculate, you know, okay, I have this money, what I'm going to do with it now you have a different kind of problem. If you start spending it, first of all, you have to spend some of it. That's my advice. It's very important. But once you do that, you don't really you know, need any more shirts or
0: something like that. Why do you have to spend some of it?
1: <laughs> because you have to, uh, I believe that you have to uh, recognize that you achieved something. You have to be happy about yourself. You have to be happy about that. And you always had some idea. In my case, I bought a car, you know, a, a, bit a reasonable car for, for my needs, but I wanted to do that for a number of years. So I bought a new car because before that I was buying, you know, secondhand cars. Like so it was not too unreasonable, but not really, you know, something that I would do in normal circumstances. And you have to travel a little bit, you know, go to some places you wanted to do, and I really highly recommend that. But once you do that, you start, you're a rational person. So you don't, you understand it. You cannot spend that money indefinitely. You have to do something about it. And then problems start, because when you have your own business, you see great number of business opportunities on the edges of your business. In a similar sense, in my story, how from you without we created sesame Pro. So for example, we had Sesame Pro, we saw, oh, we can do something about hosting business. So we 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 had some hosting customers. We actually, in our case, we created another company that was doing hosting, and we uh, we uh, set it up. It was a registrar for doterra's domain names. So we created this as a new business separate. I just oversaw that that business. I wasn't managing that. We had partners there, so I said, oh, we can create some internet advertising business. We have ISP, we have servers, we have customers. Once you solve that, these opportunities just evaporate. So uh, now your situation is here, you have the money from from your previous business, but you don't have that business anymore. So you see some local opportunities, the things you can do. And um, you can start new business, but you will need to invest significant amount of that. Uh, when you were in previous situation for your business, you saw some opportunities on the edge of your business you could explore because it's a marginal cost recovery. But then uh, the, that, the opportunity is no more. So now with some money, you have to find a different structure of security in your life. You have to think about yourself differently. You have to understand yourself in different view, and you have to think what not. In my case, I kind of understood that I'm not longer a typical entrepreneur running my own business, that I'm more into management. But then I also understood that I don't really have systematic knowledge about that management as I would like. And then I'm lacking in that respect and I need to learn more. So what did you do? I went to school. (laughs) I, I said, okay. I... It's funny, I kind of, when I started the business, I uh, was uh, in the Faculty of Organizational Sciences in Belgrade, but the f- kind of, uh, it was half drop out from my faculty, never really uh, finished it at time. So during the 2000 something, I said, well, maybe I should do something about it. There were new programs, Bologna uh, system, and I went back to school just to finish as a bachelor. And I said, OK, that's fine. At least when I, you know, my son, when he goes to school, I will write that his father has finished some, some college, you know, not, not only just an entrepreneur. But that turned out very well in my case because that enabled me to go to MBA because I was qualified. And I looked around where would be the best uh, MBA school. And it was, of course, in Slovenia, in black. So I went to IDC, Uh, I paid that school myself without any definitive idea what will I do afterwards. I just saw that I kind of want to have better knowledge, more systemized, uh, to understand um, uh, how the finance works from the corporate perspective and um, basically to have some fun and to learn more and to see, you know, can I... Compete with those young, uh, bright uh, boys and
0: girls from uh, sitting in the MBA school. And while looking back now, what was the experience? Was it worth it? Oh, it was great. First, it was
1: fun. Uh, You meet new friends. uh, You learn new things. Um, I ended up um, finishing this um, school well with honors. So I was able to compete and then it's... Good to learn about yourself, but in my case, it was really kind of changing the experience because it enabled me to view myself not as a techy guy who is doing some business, but as someone who is a really manager. I had to learn finance also in my work because I was running companies, and we were also doing some accounting software in Yuga Data in nineties. That was one of our businesses. So, I helped write this software. So, I had to understand uh, at least accounting because we had to produce that software. Uh, but, uh, uh, I, MBA gave me uh, the whole picture from different angles. And the kind of you really find a synergy in that knowledge of how to view the business. Then, probably the most important thing in my, my case was that I learned to think about business problems in some sort of a frameworks, not just what can we do about it today, but how do we think about this problem and what are the longer term possibilities and second and third order order consequences. So you kind of have this practice of thinking in different in managerial way. So that helped me, helped me start the new
0: career as a manager. And to, uh, let's say, this new career is still connected to tech, let's say, so... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. still connected to tech. I, uh, I was
1: one of, the, we mentioned the .rs domain the name a number of times. Yeah. I was uh, one of the people who started the reform of then uh, the domain name because when I was in Cezan we had the problem of uh, local content in Serbian language. And we needed uh, more domain names for people to create content and to offer them our hosting services and access services. And it was a really challenge because uh, .U was uh, ran by, uh, by Miriam Atasic as a volunteer, and it was difficult to get a new domain name. So we needed reform. And I kind of was one of the persons from different angles who started this reform process. I was there uh, when we started a non-governmental expert organization, not-for-profit organization that is the registry for .RS. It's called the RINITS Regist- Regist- Registry of Serbian National Internet Main name And uh, in 2013, I went back to be the CEO of the RINITS and to first in my life to work for, for a salary. So I had a board, uh, I was the CEO, I reported to the board and it was a small organization, but due to the structure to reporting requirements to our um, public uh, commitment, it was more of a corporate structure even with only 12 people employed in the office. So it was kind of managerial practice for me. I did that for four years. And now that uh, enabled me to move to the next step, uh, I connected through RENITS with the international community of domain names and the internet governance. I was um, elected to be a board member in the uh, European Association of Country Code Registries. And then when my term ended in, uh, as the CEO of the RENITS in 2017, it was four-year term, Uh, I stepped up and put my name forward uh, for the elections of the board of uh, ICANN, and I was elected by the Global non So ICANN is a U.S. corporation that uh, is the steward of the Internet, uh, global Internet domain name system. So in technical, systematical terms, it's the most important organization on the Internet if you look at the logical structure of the Internet.
0: In a way, you can say there's no more uh, steps on the, this ladder to advance. Let's say you are the highest possible position of intelligence. Yeah,
1: it sounds great. But uh, for me personally, it's a great satisfaction to be working with such a, a competent and high level people. It's a real learning opportunity. I continued to learn. I took opportunities uh, because we have, of course, training budget. I went to Insad uh, finished their corporate governance course. I'm a certified uh, uh, corporate governance director, also member of the US Association of uh, Corporate Directors. So now I with, well, this number of years I don't really want to mention exactly but I don't view myself as a tech entrepreneur or manager anymore I view myself as someone who is interested in governance Uh, I'm a digital governance and policy expert working in internet governance but I'm also uh, trying to help uh, uh, entrepreneurs in the region to understand the importance of corporate governance structures, because I truly believe that we all together need to grow, uh, need to uh, build our businesses, not to be something that will just sell off and, and go on, but to build it uh, build it into uh, corporations that will be able to get uh, minority investments and respect by the bar banks, to have a good corporate structure that will uh, give uh, trust in our organizations and to basically build ourselves into more developed economy. So this is something as a mission I have in the in my work coming back to from this global American environment coming back to
0: Serbia and the region. I really respect this mission because it would allow for local accumulation of wealth, uh, which is really important for long-term health of the nation, let's say. so We have the advantage of being entrepreneurial
1: because we had to learn from all the changes we all together went through and still the challenges we have. But we also need to learn to be more structured and more trustworthy, not only as individuals, but as organizations. Yes.
0: Okay, so in trying to bring our conversation to a neat end and to do it full circle, let's say now from your experience of somebody interested in governance, what would be your, your advice to, let's say, an entrepreneur who's bootstrapping his company between 10 and 20 people, what should he focus on to, let's say, to, to, to take some shortcut uh, to be better company sooner?
1: Well, I'm not a big favorite of shortcuts. I believe that we, in this region, in Serbia in particular, are too often trying to find the shortcuts. So uh, bootstrapping is, uh, in my mind, being fast. So being fast means you have to recognize all the opportunities and not wait for for markets to happen, not to wait for different conditions to benefit you. You have to be, you have to understand the real uh, situation around you to understand the real life and move fast, do things, grow fast, uh, learn and understand the, embrace the changes that are coming. So if, for example, you mentioned uh, company of 10 or 20 people, you have to jump into the changes that will bring you into more of a structure of having mid-management, of, uh, of understanding the processes of how you work and not, not look at yourself, not only as a owner and entrepreneur, but look at yourself as a manager, because that will help you with the next phase. Think about your business as something that will grow indefinitely. Think about your business that will not be uh, uh, packed for sales by a good story tomorrow. Think about your business that has real good fundamentals. Be careful also about when, when the time for possible sale or sort of measure comes, people will look back and what have you done in the growth phase. So you have to be careful about your you know, balance sheets, about the way how your uh, uh, culture works, about, uh, about your past taxes, about everything. Because if you want to grow, you will have to deal with the banks. They will look at it. They will uh, look at your corporate structures to be, is your company trust worthy enough to be invested in? But also same thing if you're looking for the investors. So I believe that the uh, key yesterday was about uh, control. I will invest in the company if I can have a full control. So I will move the old people out and now I will control everything. For the future, the question of the control will be more complicated. So the banks and the investors will go into minority stake in order to build up. So investments, for example, also for startups are coming in rounds. So our venture capital market here is at least in Serbia is just about to emerge. Of course, Croatia, Slovenia are a little bit better situation. So we can learn by looking west as usual. But the situation here will 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 be more mature and the opportunities will come. But you have to be ready. You have to
0: take today what you can take today and grow. Thank you, Danko, for this conversation and the value you shared with our listeners. And I would like to thank everybody who listened to us us till the end. Yeah. Thank you for the
1: time. It was really, really interesting. And I always try to contribute
0: Uh, all of the board listeners also can contact me, uh, Twitter, Danko. Great. Uh, I will also also share the contact in the show notes of this episode. If you like this episode please subscribe to the podcast and do not forget to tell your friends about it i would really appreciate if you tell me which entrepreneur would you like me to interview next just email me at podcast at bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu. the episode channels are available at www.bootstrapentrepreneurs.eu see you next week